So as I alluded to in my introductory thoughts there, I've got a picture. I don't know if you can put that up straight away, Lockie. There it is. That's actually a statue in the city of Jaffa in Israel today, commemorating the fact, the story in the Bible of Jonah in the fish, or some translations call it a whale. Um, the language of the Hebrew around what actually ate Jonah is ambiguous to the point of it could have been just a sea monster. Uh, it's like, don't get caught up on it. The reality is, and the story's purpose is, he got eat, eaten by a fish. Why like, can you imagine that? Like, what do fish eat? Other smelly things in the sea? So, anyway, we won't go there. Uh, too much. But if you've read the story of Jonah, just give me a wave if you, you know what I'm talking about, the story of Jonah and the whale in the Bible. If you've never read the story, go home and get your Bible out and open up to Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. It's a, an amazing story about a, a guy called Jonah um, who has a problem, and that is he's stubborn. He's actually a prophet, which means he hears from God. And he's actually meant to be telling some people some stuff that God wants other people to hear. And he refuses to do it. And so the story uh, conveys to us that he um, heads down to a a seaport called Joppa, and Joppa in the Old Testament is current day in Israel, Jaffa. Uh, I tried to look up so I could be authoritative authoritative on this, but I think Jaffa is the Hebrew spelling, uh, sorry, the Arabic spelling of the the word. Joppa is the Hebrew spelling. And uh, It's um, one of those places that today, 37% of Tel Aviv uh, is uh, Arab, Palestinian, and the other 63 is um, Israeli. So it's a it's a multicultural city, big time. And and Jaffa, we were there. It's kind of like the Port Adelaide of Adelaide. It's the port part of what is now the massive metropolitan area of Tel Aviv in Israel. Um, At that time, it wasn't that big but it was the biggest seaport on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. So Jonah didn't sort of jump in his car, his Tesla, and drive down to Robe to a a little-known port to find a little fishing boat to just get away from God. He went to the busiest port in the known eastern part of the Mediterranean world to find a ship that was going to Tarshish, which was... Uh, and is, well, it was on the, the south coast of what we know as Spain. And what I could see on the map, it's probably pretty close to the Rock of Gibraltar, actually. And when you look at a map of the Mediterranean Sea with Spain on the, on the north and the, uh, on the, yes, the north and the north coast of Africa on the south, um, it, the picture I saw as soon as I opened that map was this weird picture of he went to the mouth of the Mediterranean Sea. It's kind of, it isn't, but it's a narrow strait and the, it's actually the inlet of all the tidal movement in the Mediterranean Sea comes from the Atlantic Ocean in through that little mouth. So he went to the mouth of the ocean only to be thrown into the ocean to be eaten and thrown into the mouth of a whale. Um, he was trying to get away from God because he didn't want to do what he was asked to do. Uh, so it's an account of someone who knows God but being indignant in the extreme about God's willingness. Because the message that he got was to go and talk fairly bluntly to the city of Nineveh about what they've been up to. And so even in that respect, you go, this is such a weird story. 
This is not about God coming to C3 Church Adelaide Hills and saying, you guys that are followers of my ways, you guys have kind of lost your way. It's like, just lift your game a little bit. He, he's been sent to Nineveh, a pagan Assyrian city. At the time, Nineveh was probably, some historians think, it was the biggest city on earth when he was sent to it. And it's actually located um, near current-day Mosul in Iraq. And uh, up the story, if you've read, keep up the Bob reading plan, God kind of deals with um, Nineveh fairly severely after this story and basically foretells that it's going to be wiped off the face of the earth because they dared to attack the Israelites back then, the Jews. And uh, it's one of the few archaeological sites where they can find almost no trace of it. They know it was there, but it's been completely obliterated. And so that's just an aside, a little bit of interesting side information. So Jonah got it stuck in his neck a little bit that this is what God's like. If you've been reading Exodus 34 verse 6, um, it reads this way in the NIV, he, he, as God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We've got a God who, in this story with Jonah, wants to demonstrate to even ungodly people his willingness to forgive when they repent, when they stop being stubborn. And so he picks a stubborn guy for the mission, to go to a stubborn people. And he goes, uh-uh, don't count me in, I'm not going. And so he disappears. As, as the saying goes, he jumped in a boat to go to what was currently then the ends of the earth. He tried to go as far away from God as he could possibly get. <clears throat> and he doesn't quite get there, he gets swallowed by a fish. So the first point I want to ask you this morning is, when the task seems too big or too hard, what do you do? What happens to me on the inside when I feel like God's laid in front of me something that's just, in my opinion, unreasonable? But it wasn't unreasonable because it was unreasonable. For Jonah, it was unreasonable because he knew, the story uh, relays later on, he actually has an argument with God at the end of the book. He, he knew that if they were confronted and repented, that jolly old God would forgive them. Doesn't that annoy you? That somebody you think needs to get smacked in the side of the head because they violated you or they've done something wrong or they've broken the law or they've been evil for a long, long time. As a Christ follower, if I share Jesus with them and they repent, I've got to swallow the reality that God will forgive them and bring them into his kingdom. And this story of Jonah's one, I think of as a bit of a litmus test for us to go, in my heart of heart, Bruce, are you going to be okay with that? Are you going to be okay sitting in church next to your sworn enemy who's turned to Jesus, repented, found forgiveness, been born again? Are you going to be okay sitting next to somebody that you truly do not like? And this story is about God's attitude towards Jonah, about his still complaint about it. At the end of the story, it doesn't end well for Jonah. It doesn't actually say how he ends up. But God has the last say. He says, mate, if people turn and repent, I'm a God who forgives. 
Who's up for that? Oh, yeah. You just put your hand like... Um, I still want to have a few caveats on that. It kind of depends, God. What do you mean? Anybody? Yeah. Any, any, any evil? Yeah. Let me keep going. So when the task seems too hard, God's ask is too big. What about me? Have I tried to escape from God's call on my life? Maybe it's the arena, in, literally in the arena of forgiveness. Maybe it's in the arena of somebody's completely and utterly offended you and it's like, nope, I'm not going to give in to that. Why? Oh, because I'm stubborn. You don't know how stubborn I am. I've met some stubborn people. I reckon I can be pretty stubborn, can't I, Julie? Yeah. <laughs> not, yes, I'll, just, I'll stop that conversation right there. It's just... <clears throat> Um, second point I want to bring up so, uh, is God will, however, pursue you wherever you go. Don't you be thinking for one minute you can fool God and run off to Murray Bridge and hide or run off to Sydney or disappear on a big trip for six months and oh, God won't find me. Some people are running away from responsibilities Nothing wrong with having a long holiday trip, yeah. by the way. These guys are going away for a few months, a long service leave. That's, that's quite okay. We all need that to um, revive and refresh. But there are some people who are running and hiding. Um, I need to turn the camera off for a minute because I, I, I want to talk about, without being disparaging, Darwin, as an example, has a reputation as a city that attracts people who are actually running away from family breakups business failures, relational complexity. A lot of people in Darwin go up there to do a Jonah, get away from it all. Turn it get back on again. Didn't turn it off, but if <laughs> any of my Darwin friends are listening, don't take it too personally. Unless, of course, you're offended and you've run away from God. <laughs> then, get ready for the fish. Get ready for the fish. So God will pursue you. And there's an interesting part of this story for us to get our head around, because the Bible is very clear. Let me read this to you. Then, this is verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Notice it didn't say there was just a storm. It says, the Lord sent a great wind, and a storm developed. It's an unpleasant line of thinking to theologically get our heads around. So, so God, God does do things like that. And I don't think it's overly healthy to then go down the stupid road that many people do, that tsunamis and earthquakes and massive floods are God's judgment on the world. No, no, this, this story is about God's willingness to do whatever it takes to get your attention. Now, the guys in the boat with Jonah are a little bit concerned, just saying. They're freaking out because the boat's going to sink and Jonah's... The language is so funnily connected to the New Testament. Jonah, like Jesus, is sleeping in the bottom of the boat while there's massive storms going on. And they go and wake him up and say, hey, what have you done? And he's like, can you talk and pray to your God? Because our gods are doing nothing. 
And so Jonah knows straight away what's going on. As soon as he wakes up out of his sleepy, blurry head, he realises that God's up to something and he eventually says to the guys, the only way this is going to work out to save your lives is to chuck me overboard. Which the story kind of indicates they were a little bit reluctant to do that. Um, So there was a level of camaraderie on the boat even for a guy that was paying passage to go to the ends of the earth. Anyway, they eventually do throw him overboard and the storm subsided. I guess the point really is, and ask ask yourself this question, am I sitting in the middle of a storm that's not being picked on, but it's actually God's waving flags, he's blowing wind. I'm in the middle of a pressure point because God's trying to get my attention. He actually wants me to say, yes, Lord, not nick off, Lord. He's wanting me to go... I am your servant, what can I do, Lord? Not, uh, can I get back to you on that? If there's a storm in your life at the moment, it's not saying the correlation's always there, but if you're feeling a significant level of pressure this morning in this church, in, in this meeting, I mean, at this point in time, is it worth asking the question, is God trying to actually say something to me in this pressure point? It could be financial, it could be a business thing, it could be... Relationship. It just could be you're feeling unusually glum about life. And it's like, and it's just putting pressure on. It's like, what's going on in my, inside of me, in here or in here? And I want to put it to you with what I'm trying to say this morning. It's possible, not, it's not always, and I want to be careful when I say that, but it is possible. Is it possible that God's actually just putting a bit of pressure on you, not to kill you, but to get you somewhere? He wants you to get to the next part of your life. And so Jonah jumped, is chucked into the sea. You think, well, that's it, game over. He's cooked. He said no to God. God's not happy with him. The guys throw him overboard and it's it. Maybe the storm you're in is not set to kill you. The storm you might find yourself in is sent to actually flip you into the next season of life. And so God rescues him, in a manner of speaking, with a fish. And chapter 2 just starts straight up. As soon as Jonah's in a fish, he does the smart thing finally. What's it going to take is a good question. What's it going to take to break Bruce's stubbornness? Just how far do you have to go to break a horse? I don't know, I've never broken a horse. Anyone here familiar with breaking horse, wild horses in? Yes, Paul? What kind of work does it take? New concepts, slow, drip feed, yeah, well, Jonah had a fast forward version, that three days in a whale. <laughs> there you go, yeah, it's a matter of, again, who's the most stubborn, right, the horse or the person, yeah, so anyway, he ends up in this strange story, he's in the belly of this sea creature and uh, some of the kids stories books you see and others the illustrated books you find you know there's fish bones and fish nets and bits of boat and bits of junk a few old boots in there and get the impression it was a pretty well pretty smelly pongy kind of place to be and he does the smart thing so I want to ask you this morning are you ready right now to do the smart thing Put your indignation away. Stop being um, stubborn with God and just going, God, you got me. 
That's a really smart thing to do. No matter what's going on, no matter what lack of clarity there is about the next thing, maybe it's just time to stop and say, sorry, God. I've actually been, I know I've been stubborn with you in this particular arena of my life. The great thing about it, as soon as he changes his tune, Jonah finds himself being vomited up onto the beach. I'm not sure that would be a pleasant experience either, but um, just, you know, I don't know where your mind goes with that, but it's like, um, <laughs> a bit like men in black with all that goop, you know, when they squash the cockroaches and, oh. don't you love that movie? Men in black. Anyone, what, you know, some of you are going, mm, I love it. You know, where they just squashing the cockroaches. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, Jonah was caught up in a bit of goop. And God speaks to him again. And he goes to Nineveh and he tells them that um, they need to repent because um, God's not happy with the way things are going. And strangely, the whole city goes, okay. I mean, it's a bit like jumping in a bus and driving over to Canberra and telling all that lot over there, it's time to change your tune. And they go, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you just gotta, gotta contextualize it a little. It's like, really? But God was in the midst of doing something and demonstrating again his phenomenal capacity to forgive. Even a, a pagan nation that were not his chosen people Yet when they were confronted with an invitation to respect God by repenting of their ways, he forgave them, didn't annihilate them at that point in time, and, and let them be. It's a story for us to get a handle on just how big is God in his willingness to forgive and a massive challenge to us because Jonah doesn't get it. When God does it, Jonah gets really ticked off. It says in Jonah 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. I don't know about you, but um, I, I try to think of any examples or some examples of myself when I've thought of some people that I've dealt with over the years that I've seen come to come to Christ and thought, I was just, gee, it's, I mean, I think generally speaking, I'm happy. But again, as I said earlier on, it can get to the point where we actually might find ourselves being, however, a little indignant about that. In verse 4, the Lord responds to his indignation, he says, and his anger, and God said, but is it right for you to be angry? So the point of this book then is to bluntly highlight the contrast between our application of mercy and God's actual mercy. I don't know about you, but I, I guess I would be comfortable to admit to you, and publicly even online, that I think my mercy mechanism, when I'm really brutally honest, is conditional. It's kind of conditional on a relational context. It's kind of conditional on how the person I'm having mercy on responds to me, how they treat me, how they've treated me. Do they even deserve my mercy? Sometimes I have the view they don't deserve any mercy, so stuff them. It's like, and this story's going, Bruce, stop thinking like that. I'm not God, so I can't unconditionally present mercy to people, but I need God in me to help me move down that road. And you can't do it without him. 
It's not in our human nature to have unconditional mercy. We always have got an angle. I don't know about you, but that's my observation. Everybody I know has got an angle. There's always something going on in a yes and a no. They're always trying to work, work out, do they deserve mercy? No, not on my watch, they don't. They deserve to suffer. God's showing us in this story of Jonah that he will have mercy on who will have mercy. And generally speaking, he always has mercy on the people who turn to him and say, I'm sorry, Lord. So this morning, that's the good news of this message. The good news of this message is any one of us can this morning decide to, to put down being stubborn, to put down a no to God, to put down to being ticked off with God, just saying, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I'm sorry that I've held my ground for this long and I do know, because I know I know, I'm not happy and I'm still in the fish and it's time for it to chunder me onto the beach because I want to get on with my life. So are there people you think have been blessed when you're of the view they should have not been or should not have been? God is having none of that and none of Jonah's tamper tantrum. Where does that leave us? To reflect on our mechanisms of mercy. And as I said, do I have strings attached? Honestly, do I wipe certain people off or sins into beyond the pale category? That is, there is to be no mercy shown. Do I have the desire for revenge or hinting at what goes around comes around? In other words, you know, the karma. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like what goes around comes around. Because it's kind of biblical. You reap what you sow, right? <laughs> you see, this is what I'm talking about. I'm just letting you into my little world. I'm just being a little vulnerable. I'm mischievous like you are. Okay? You might not think... I'm not so sure. I'm making friends or enemies back there this morning. I was like, ooh. God wants us to be free to extend mercy genuinely to more people. And we can only do that when we walk with the Lord. Why don't we stand at our feet? Being part of a faith community like this, being connected to other Christians and Christ followers is a way that we ensure to the best of our ability I'm on the journey of being an excellent, exemplary mercy purveyor. I can convey mercy. I know I can. But I need God's help. And I'm always going to need God's help when it would appear to me that the person or the situation doesn't warrant mercy. So I want you to think of a situation just as we're standing to close this morning. If there is one in your life where you go... I have been stubborn and I would concede that I'm actually stuck in that stubbornness. And is it possible that like Jonah in the second chapter, once he gets swallowed by this fish, he immediately stops to think, maybe I need to do something different. So with our eyes closed this morning where we stand, I want to invite you to, to call on the name of the Lord. Help me. Help me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to let go. Help me to back down. Forgive me, Lord, for allowing pride to 
keep spurring me on to be stubborn. When all I need to do, and it might be one of the hardest choices that I make, is to relent and repent. Sorry, Lord. Help me. And so by your spirit, Lord, this morning, right now, I pray that you would breathe freedom into every person listening here in the meeting, in the building, if you're listening online this morning. This is a time where change can fall off, freedom can come, forgiveness can flow, and the mercy of God can cleanse and refresh you and me. And I pray, Lord, today that that would be our experience. We walk out of this place feeling like, oh, I just had a beautiful shower in the Holy Spirit. I'm feeling clean, fresh, renewed, ready for the next chapter. pray, Lord, that we would do all that's in our power to bring that, that incredible gift of mercy, with as few strings attached as we can make it, into the world in which we live. The people we see day by day, the people who know us, the people who work with us, the people who live with us at home. God, we pray that we would find your mercy flowing like a mighty, mighty river of change in our circumstances. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you've got something that's kind of bubbling on the inside as we sing this last song about that topic um, and you'd like further prayer, by all means come and stand in the front um, during the song or at the end of the service. And I'd love to pray with you and just spend some time one-on-one in prayer with you. Alongside that, before we sing this last song, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, needs to dwell in your heart and mine in order for us to be that kind of merciful person. You can be a merciful person in your own strength, no doubt about it, but I guarantee your mercy at some point, in some context, will hit the wall because you're not God. But when we have God in us through faith in Jesus Christ, we will find that we have mercy beyond our own strength to bring into situations. If you've never invited Christ into your life, you could do that this morning before we close as well. It's uh, as simple as, I don't mean to make light of it because it's not light, but it really is as simple as, like Jonah did, just changing your mind and going, you know what, I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to believe He is who He says He is, and I'm going to invite Him to come into my life as my Lord and my Saviour. We can do that with a prayer, a short prayer time together, and you'll find yourself being a brand new person on the inside. You've never invited Christ into your life. You need to put your hand up and say, that's me, Bruce, Pastor Bruce. I want to actually make that decision this morning. If that's you, before we just 